I occasionally think how quickly our differences worldwide would vanish if we were facing an alien threat from outside this world. And yet, I ask you, is not an alien force already among us? What could be more alien to the universal aspirations of our peoples than war and the threat of war? Welcome to ThoughtSpeak, a podcast dedicated to the discussion of K.A. Applegate's 1996 book series, Animorphs. Uh, my name is Coleman. And my name is Mitchell. And boy, if, if we're off our game at all, it's because this time, this ThoughtSpeak, we are doing something completely different. Uh, something that we hope to, to bring to you more in the future. Uh, uh, you said your name's Coleman and I'm Mitchell, right? Yeah, we did that. <laughs> <laughs> we are live streaming this episode for the first time. Uh, we may make this a regular event, but obviously uh, all mistakes are going to be heard now. There's nothing we can just edit out. I mean, we could fix things for the final episode, but uh, I sincerely hope that you edit out at least a half an hour of this thing. What? You just cut out no. a little bit. I cut out a little bit. You cut out a little bit. See, we're already hitting those awesome technical difficulties. <laughs> yeah, it's it's great times. But um, yeah, we're live streaming for the first time, uh, at least an episode, like a full on episode for the first time. And uh, yeah, it's pretty exciting. It's, it's a new venture for ThoughtSpeak. Absolutely. And like I said, one that we hope to take into the future, we are... Uh, within the, I think, 12-book range of finishing the Animorph series. So uh, with that in mind, you might have seen, like, uh, reflected in our Facebook or our, our newest logos, we are kind of switching gears into being more of a book nostalgia podcast. Uh, I don't know if you guys have any feelings on that necessarily just yet or uh, uh, what you think about that, but I hope what you take away from it is that it means we're planning on sticking around for the future, um, depending yeah, on we've been doing this for be. four years, and we've been focused on animorphs. We've had crazy schedules as far as when episodes are released and all that. Um, so moving into the future, I mean, I'm excited to get into other books, but still take what we've learned in uh, this huge animorph section and uh, go forward with that. But yeah, I mean, I need to. It's just you saw just now me, you know, messing up the uh, little intro. We need to change that intro. It's it's it's. At least for another few books, we're going to be Animorphs, but um, that's about the only thing we haven't changed so far. Because, yeah, if you've seen our website and everything, uh, we're, we're on the lookout for the next book series, the next uh, few books to go into. We've got a couple ideas, but uh, it's an exciting time for ThoughtSpeak. Oh, absolutely. Best time ever to get into ThoughtSpeak, especially on the Patreon. Because uh, we're going to have some cool stuff, hopefully, coming up real soon on our Patreon. And just thanks to everybody who's... Been a supporter so far. Um, speaking of, yes, the uh, the intro needs to be updated. Uh, maybe in our next episode it'll be changed to reflect uh, the changing series because this is our last book until uh, I think the countdown starts in the next one. At least uh, I know that the next one is when um, they they start to come out to their family and uh, reveal the the secret of the what they've been doing this whole time, which. I'm really excited for because I never read any of those beginning books where they come out. Like I started, uh, you know, I had a break in the in the ghostwritten books, and then I started, I think, on the book where they convinced the Taxons to join their side. So these next few books are re what I've been waiting this entire series for. 
oh. this reread. Yeah, man. It's it's going to be super awesome stuff. And, you know, I'm looking forward to talking about tonight's book even more um, just because it's such a, let's say, unique book. And uh, uh, this, this live stream experience has made it all the more fun. Um, I just well, like to really... No, I don't want to do whatever. No, I don't want to do whatever you want to do. I want to do what I want to do. Well, what you want to do is probably what I want to do, which is do what we always do at the beginning of the episode and thank our uh, Patreon supporters, many of who are watching right now live. Yes, exactly. Many of who are watching live, such as Nita Labrata-Gafaro, and uh, I I definitely see you there. It's great to have you. And uh, she says, uh, I'm down for following you guys to any book series, which is just, you know... That's that's nice. Thank you. It's very nice. <laughs> I'm going to go through uh, real quick, as we always do, and just thank all of the Patreon supporters um, that make the show possible. And it's a long, rambly sort of list of names, and many of them are nonsensical, but uh, let's uh, let's just do it anyway. Man, people in the chat are already jumping into this book and reviewing it themselves. And I just can't. <laughs> We can't let that color our opinions, because right now they're tearing this book apart, and we haven't even started. Oh, sweet. No, that's fine. I'll try not to uh, uh, look into that too much, Um, which I'm going to actually go do right now. No, no, I have to (laughs) resist reading the chats. i got to thank the Patreons. Okay. (laughs) Uh, All right, so Toasty Flatworm. (laughs) John John Maz. Patter Roast. uh, Peter Schull. Um, Noah Troutman, uh, Ari Shia, Ari Shia, I'm sorry. <laughs> Come on, Mitch. Amanda Mimic, Jeremy Baxter, Tomb, Ju- Tomb Juice, Tomb Juice, you rock, Tomb Juice. Thank you. Canicula, I like that name too. And uh, Josh Blount, Tony Pazak, Kendra, Kendra, are you still around? Kendra? I'm not sure. Ben Freeman, Jason Thompson, James Miola, Jennifer Baker, Kelly Brown, Kevin Koslowski, uh, Andrew Walker, David C. We got Graith. We got Daniel Martin Noller. He's already uh, chilling in the uh, YouTube stream. Uh, Tim Aheen, Nita Labrada Gaffado. Probably butchered that, but you know, we got to thank you anyway. Michael Blemick and Steven. Steven Steve Adams. (laughs) I'm sure no one has actually got offended us by mispronouncing their name. You know, some names are unfamiliar to us or some are uh, just, you know, different than what we're used to. And we I hope you you feel that we're saying them with enthusiasm because we actually incredibly appreciate everyone who supports them on Patreon. (laughs) I love Daniel's comment. I'm sure the Flatworm family has a long and interesting history. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I saw that. This Um, this has already enriched our our episodes and our dialogue. Yeah, I think think it it makes it more exciting. But uh, honestly, it's because of our Patreon subscribers that we are able to move into new ventures like this and redo our website like we did. And uh, now I want to buy like a nice webcam and like read outfit this room and make it cool studio but um but yeah we, i want to be i want to become game. a let's play streamer <laughs> we let let's play some uh, smash brothers the new new ultimate smash brothers so i'm sure um, i'd be down with that and a lot of people probably would <laughs> yeah but um but yeah if you want to support us if you want to help us doing new things like this and just uh you know just are excited about what we're gonna do next uh head on over to patreon um uh, slash thought speak is it ThoughtSpeakCast? Patreon.com slash ThoughtSpeakCast? No, it's just ThoughtSpeak. 
Yeah. Well, Patreon.com slash ThoughtSpeak, and you can uh, become a Patreon subscriber. And in the future, uh, these will only be, uh, the live streams will only be, um, will only notify the uh, Patreon subscribers for these. This will be a special Patreon-only um, gift to you guys for supporting us and helping us out. And obviously, any Patreon subscriber will also get our episodes, our actual episodes that are edited and a little nicer. Uh, you'll get those before anyone else as well. So, thanks again, guys. Totally, totally. All right, do you want to start talking about the actual book, the whole reason we're here tonight, or, or, or do you want to read some more comments? I don't know. I just like looking at the comments. It's new and exciting. <laughs> no, we uh, we should unexpectedly move into our uh, talking about the unexpected Animorphs number 44, 43. This is Animorphs number 44. Yes. The unexpected. And, and wow, I can show you the book for the first time. Ooh. Ooh. Oh my God. I, I probably sound like such a grandpa. <laughs> I'm on the <laughs> video tube. I'm on oh, the we can do an unboxing video of the book. Go put it in a box real quick. The what? That's that's big on the YouTube is unboxings of like toys oh, and games. Oh, I no, I get you there. Yeah, Sometimes yeah, yeah. your mic does cut out a little bit. By the way, YouTube, you're not perfect. Your algorithms. Well, yours does it. as well. So I'm not sure what that is. We might we might need to streamline this because we've got YouTube open and Google Hangouts. I'm sure there's a way to have everything all in one video or on one window. So potentially, yeah, we'll sure. Mm-hmm. Anyway, but, I mean. Shit, here we go. It's this is Animorphs the Unexpected. Uh the the Cassie Outback Adventure book. Do you want to start talking about the uh cover? What is there to say? I mean, you got Cassie turning into a kangaroo. Um the, the that cover- clues that clues the reader in that we're not in America anymore. We're going somewhere a little different, a little down under. Uh I I am surprised bat. that a quote like we're not in Kansas anymore wasn't the cover quote for this thing because say some say you shouldn't play mind games tell that to the Yerks is just like obviously one of those stock quotes that they pulled out a you know <laughs> a binder somewhere I want to ask you real quick do you think so uh, how this book was created do you think they specifically wanted to go go to Australia and that's why the main morph is a kangaroo or they wanted to morph a kangaroo therefore they set it in australia because why would they need to morph a kangaroo in a normal scenario i don't know but i actually have a lot of gripes with this book specifically about how kangaroo oriented this one was um and primarily i mean it, it all stems from an anger that they didn't do a koala morph anywhere in here well real quick uh daniel makes a great point in the chat uh that in uh, 2000, lead up to the 2000 Olympics, was in Australia. So there might have been some Australia fever going around. And that might be why this book is set there. Oh, wow. That's. Uh, we're, we're learning from the chat now. They've become sentient. I've also learned from the chat that this, this too, is a book that, you know, seventh grade boys were embarrassed to carry around. <laughs> and why wouldn't they be? Um, Not as bad as, like, the Rachel turning into a starfish book. Or, I think uh, I I had this same outfit in in the the nineties or the early two thousands. I had this. <laughs> it's just I I think I have this in my closet right now. Come to think of it, it's just a it's like a pink purplish you know flannel. I got one. Um, <laughs> oh, what's the inside cover look like? 
What are we looking at here? The inside cover is actually really funny because um, it's just like your generic. They're standing around, you know. It, it, it's literally like a, a postcard picture, right? But mm. I only just recently noticed that if you look really closely, the kangaroo Cassie here is actually holding the boomerang. I don't know if you noticed that. <laughs> it's it's different. It's different oh. from the uh, the cover. Cover is not There's obviously holding so the much to but. say about that aspect of this book. But we have to wait. Uh, although I think Gosh, I think for those yeah. who maybe are just checking in to see us do something live, you might want to stick around because our, our reviews might not go the way that we're all expecting. I'm just going to drop that little hint. Um, sure, uh, yeah, it's, it's possible. I mean, we have a lot to discuss. We'll see. Yeah, kangaroos are dangerous. <laughs> we'll by the way, Daniel, people do underestimate them. I got that. I, I got to pet and play with a little little kid, a little Joey. That's what they're called. Well, well, he's talking about drop bears. Australia. He says, "Don't es- underestimate drop bears." Uh, I don't know what the hell a drop bear is, but it's don't a fictional. That. It's a fictional koala-looking beast that drops from trees onto tourists and kills them in Australia. Sweet, sweet. And um, wombats have square, uh, cube-shaped poop. That's another. I fact. I didn't know that. Huh? It's, a, it's another fact. Animal fact. Do you want to read the back of the book? Because I don't have one in front of me. Oh, you know I do. I, I love this stuff. I live for this stuff. I wake up every day praying that I get to read the next back of the book. <laughs> <clears throat> the Animorphs have been split up before, and they've had to fight battles without one another. But this time is very different. Not only is Cassie totally alone, she's managed to find herself in Australia, in the rural outback. The other Animorphs and Axe don't even know she's there. Cassie doesn't have any idea where she's going or if she can even survive the rugged terrain, but she does know she has to get to a town or village and contact her family and friends because she's just realized that there's someone else who is also new to the Outback, Vizzer 3. Uh, no, there's no way dramatic, dramatic. So, uh, yeah, that's like, you know, roughly that's, I mean, that's like 0.1% of the plot, I guess. Yeah, it doesn't go into much. Uh, not the real juicy stuff that this book holds to offer. No, yeah, exactly. Now they're talking about the drop bears in the chat. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> it's very exciting. Um, yeah, so let's let's jump right in. Let's uh, this this book starts out pretty similar to many of the other books. It tries to, I think, it tries to do the opening a little different in that it, it does one of those like. Uh, describing, you know, past events and who the Animorphs are while we're in a bit of action. Yeah, yeah. It's definitely bad. the uh, the kind of book where it starts out where there's a mission in progress and it's just about to go wrong and, and the battle's breaking out. And this one happens to be at an airport and uh, it's over a piece of uh, scrap from a crashed bug fighter. I almost feel like this is starting to be like uh, uh, they were playing like whose line is it anyway with uh, just random suggestions for, for these Animorphs books. Like they dug them out of a hat, you know? Like, okay, we've got airport and uh, crashed bug fighter. All right, and make it work. And then Cassie Australia. Yeah, so, <laughs> so the MacGuffin, it's cool that the MacGuffin in this book isn't uh, part of the plot. Like, it's it's how they start out the plot, but it's not something that goes throughout the whole book. It's almost um, the idea of the MacGuffin, which is just a piece of a crashed ship, a bug fighter, uh, is something that goes throughout the book. But there's not one specific thing they're chasing throughout the book, which I thought is actually kind of different um, for 
books or movies or anything in general. You have this starting out MacGuffin that just creates the plot, and then we move on from there. I mean, it technically comes back in a different form slightly later in the book. That's what I'm saying. It's more like a theme or something important uh, to the the arc of this book if you say it even has one this this um, book had a lot of themes that it was trying to go for i feel like mm-hmm. that we'll talk a little bit about here but and it nailed it, it, it <laughs> executed some of them yeah. I, I know about that uh, <laughs> but no i thought so just starting out and uh i don't want to just seem like i'm just playing devil's advocate here there's a lot of issues with this book and there's a lot of really boring parts too but oh, God, I yeah. actually thought the airport scene was a pretty cool start in just like, you know, shit hitting the fan and uh, not going the way they're planning on it. And then um, I just the airport setting is something they haven't really done a lot with. And this hit a lot of those goalposts as far as if you're going to write the Animorphs uh, on a mission to the airport. Um, it hits all the things that I, I think were kind of cool and exciting about it. Yeah, exactly. Uh, even the people in the chat seem to feel pretty positive about this opening airport scene. And I, I got to admit, uh, there's nothing inherently wrong with it. It just feels to me like a very stretched out um, occurrence uh, that's a, just a setup to get us to this, you know, outback adventure that we're waiting for and we know is coming. Um, in fact, I felt like a lot of things in this book focused on uninteresting details for too long and then it quickly sped over things that I thought would have been really interesting. Can I pull us into a tangent right off the bat? Uh, I don't know. Ask, it, our, ask our viewers. <laughs> no, I, I don't do what they say. Um, <laughs> I, I want to jump into a... I want to read that book right away. So, what would have been really interesting is if this book was a Megamorphs book. I know I say that about every single one. But if this book was a Megamorphs book and you had somebody transported really far away, like Australia. And so you were following the adventures in Australia and also the other Animorphs, like, trying to, like, you know, leave their parents with the Chi, a Chi version of themselves, and then book a flight somehow or sneak aboard another plane to try to figure out where the other person went or, or follow them. or uh, You could have had, like, a really good... Um, double scenario there with uh, with some wacky antics in the Animorphs and airports and planes and stuff. I don't, all I, over the world. I don't know why you a, bring this a up. A globe-trotting Animorph story is what I'm asking. I don't know why you bring this up now, because you know at the end of this, we're both going to have our own, like, it would have been better if they'd have done all of this and this and this. Because I got I my like own ideas. I like doing this throughout. Yeah, I like doing sure, this throughout. Sure. That's, my, that's my first one. Well, I'm going to go through all the things that I wish it would have expanded on and stuff that it could have cut out or compressed. Uh, let's keep well. going with the plot right now. Uh, you got a tangent, that's fine, but let's go with the plot. Oh, the plot is so simple. I mean, like I said, this airport scene is actually kind of a really long setup just to get Cassie on this plane. And I even thought that the plane sequence takes way longer than it should have, could have, um, because she is, like, fending off, you know, hork on the plane. She's hiding from them. She's setting little traps. It almost becomes, uh, like, home alone for a sec on, on an airplane um, with an anamorph. <laughs> and uh, that part, I was like, really? Gosh, they are they are going into some detail about, like, way more than this plane trip than I expected. It was almost half the book. It's it's the definitely the first third of the book. So, so okay, so the, the airport uh, action scene opener, uh, I thought that was okay, not terrible. I actually thought everything that happened on the plane 
was pretty exciting and well written. I, I actually really liked her trying to figure out like, okay, the scanning procedure, how they're um, you know, stopping the airplane and freezing everybody, how she can like prepare for that and her having to find a little cubby hole with a you know, a zipper canvas front and like position the engine parts so that she wouldn't be scanned. I, I thought all that part was great. I actually thought it was a interesting part of the book. I suppose, you know, it's 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 well written, I guess I can say. It, it just um I felt like it needed to be snappier, maybe do some cuts in time. I don't I don't know. Um it, it felt very forced to get this plane to um be near Sydney. I mean, I don't I don't really see why there was a reason to like uh, uh Daniel pointed out in the co- uh comments. Uh, no, we we both agree that the whatever push this book forward and the whole kangaroo and outback and australia stuff that was you know just the, an initial idea that they they wanted to force into existence however they could so you know however we could get there they put her on a plane and, and have her fall asleep and 17 hours later she wakes up yeah yeah one way or another uh we know that cassie's getting to australia so i felt like all this airplane stuff was just filler really um, like you said, you know, she, she defends herself, um, from these hork and Taxons on this airplane well, several times. And, uh, like you, you say it's filler, but again, it's a third of the book, just like you said, like oh, yeah. the majority of this book takes place on the plane almost. Yeah. Uh, so I think they, they did care about that part and I did enjoy it and her trying to outwit, uh, the different, um, you know, the hork and stuff and how many hork are going to be on each bug fighter and, Again, I, th- I thought all that stuff was very interesting. It, it kind of reminded me of, like, um, uh, called comics and stuff that have done this, like, Wanted and stuff like that that uh, have cool, like, airplane scenes where no one else is, like, relevant to the action going on. Uh, it, got, it got some real Air Force One vibes, all right? So, okay. So, enjoyed it. Okay, yeah. Well, you know, I mean, some people say it's, it's an odd choice to have Cassie for this book, and um, I noticed that Cassie's... Uh, Plot lines uh, tend to involve her getting split off from the group. She's had quite a few now. This is probably her third or fourth, uh, at least, uh, if not more, um, adventure on her own. And I feel like her character arc is obviously the morality of of coming to terms with war, war acts and, you know, how she can balance her morality and her obligations to her teammates and friends and the human race and... It, it just seems like this book doesn't do much of anything to advance that particular character arc of Cassie. I disagree with you there because I think Cassie has always been the question, the morality of what they're doing and the acts of war. Uh, I think we see a very different Cassie than we saw the last time that we split her off from the group and had her own book and things. Um, this is a Cassie who, A, uses a gun, uses a Dracon beam, multiple times in this plane and uses it quickly like she she doesn't just defend herself she stops the problem she she shoots uh hork bajir she almost shoots the woman um the human controller um she's not she even if she's questioning what she's doing or how she's doing it she's acting quickly which i don't think cassie in book 19 20 21 you know that cassie would have just reacted like that she's a she's a warrior now she's a she's a soldier um and i don't think we've ever seen that side of cassie before but we get it in this book oddly no i you know, book, I, I get book you. we don't really want to read <laughs> she she has definitely changed i'm saying i don't think this book furthers her progression 
much at all. Uh, I think we see the progression that has already happened. I don't think she progresses in this book, so I'd agree with you on that. No, she she definitely shows off all the skills that she's learned in the past uh, couple of books. And as we know, she's a complete nutter badass. She can handle herself in almost any situation. She's yeah. Daniel Daniel's right in the chat where he says this is a Cassie that killed a bunch of controllers to save the rest of the team in the last book. So he's right. We saw that in the last book as well. Sure. And and to go with the uh, her moral themes, she does. Uh, have reservations about harming these uh, Marines that are stationed there at the airport that they don't think are controllers. They're just mixed up in the whole thing. Um, so uh, that's a part of the plot here is her, you know, feeling bad about including random civilians in their, in their it, battles. That whole, the whole MacGuffin at the beginning, it reminded me a lot of uh, when they went to area 51 and they were trying to get the uh, Andalite toilet uh, you know, you had a bunch of Marines and, and soldiers who weren't part of it, but they were protecting the MacGuffin and uh, the Yerks and the Animorphs were both trying to get to it. Uh, it kind of ripped right from, from that book. You know what? Honestly, I wish that this book came at that time. That book, This book could replace that one because I feel like at an earlier point in their adventures, this would have been a far more significant event and happening. Um, well, yeah, think at of, this think point... Of They've, the crazy adventures they've had so far, nothing really compares. This doesn't really compare to anything like that, you know? Yeah. In the first 20 books, it would have been more interesting for them to get split off because they were still acting more like kids. They were still scared of the scenarios and stuff. And I think one of them being alone in a foreign country would have been uh, a lot more interesting from a reader's perspective like you know there would have been a lot more to deal with a lot more fears a lot more you know things on top of you know the war they're trying to fight you know what if they had a couple extra books uh as nita pointed out this could have been a good um three book arc sort of and we talked about uh in in a past episode how great uh hashtag i want that book it would have been if cassie had at one point broken away from the group and like we said um went off to a different part of the world and started her own little Animorphs group. Um, I, I think that would have made an excellent three book, four book arc um, of Cassie starting her own little subsidiary of Animorphs in Australia. Why not? That, that'd be cool. Oh, no, I, I want that sequel series Animorphs international. That would be, that'd be a cool way to take the, take the series. That, that could work. I mean, I feel like they had a lot of potential for, for a going to Australia story. You know, and I, I I always want to see if if they ever do a sequel series or anything. I always think it'll be interesting. Exactly what you just described, um, forming a new group and trying to figure out who they can recruit or not. I know we're going to be dealing that with that in a couple books from now with the uh, um, auxiliary not, animorphs. Uh, yeah, the auxiliary animorphs, which I've never read. So I know yeah, that we're going to be dealing they with those. They could have totally had like a satellite animorphs. Uh, but team. you know, every every kid isn't going to be David, like. They got a bad, you know, roll of the dice with him. Um, I think without going to people like the Auxiliary Animorphs, they probably could have found um, some other team members or something. They could have found outside. me. I could have been the sixth <laughs> Animorph. I, you know, what every kid this, would think. Around that time, I was waiting for my Hogwarts letter. So, you know, you know, I, I don't know who I was going to join up with. <laughs> sure um so let's see i mean how much more detail do you need to go into here on the uh the airplane scene right we don't have to do much i i again i really like the the bug ships uh you know connecting with the 
with the airplane and the horpager boarding and all i really thought all that stuff was well done but we can we can drop out of the plane and and head into the outback which, oh, oh again real quick what? though uh daniel pointed out that um you know the the plane wouldn't realistically be very close to the outback but i do recall them saying you know they were like in space so i think the the tractor beams on the bug fighters were like you know lifting the plane out of orbit and uh so obviously the world would be still turning um, so maybe that's a, a possible explanation as to why they well, ended yeah, up in but, the outback. But when the tractor beam stopped, uh, the plane depressurized. So they had to be a lower than a low Earth orbit. They couldn't be all the way in space. Spaceman, how does that work? Wait, are you saying space, comma, man, or spaceman, how does it work? Are you asking an astronaut right now in the chat? You know, I want to leave it broad. I want to leave it open-ended. Okay. That's fair. Yeah. That's fair. Yeah. Um, well, moving on into Australia, um, which is where this book goes now. How to speak Australian. No, we, I you thought we could do this entire do episode without one of us doing an Australian accent, and you just failed us. You failed us completely. Well, um, buckle in, boys and girls, because uh, there's more of that So disappointed. <laughs> so disappointed in you right now. Well, you know what I'm disappointed in? The uh, <laughs> the direction of this story. Ha! Aha! Whoa! Uh, well, I mean, I, I appreciate that it, uh, you know, we, we land in the outback, making no sense to the direction of the plane or where things were going and all that. Um, mm-hmm. And not only does she land just, you know, out in the desert, uh, but she lands on... Thank you, Daniel. I don't know if Australia has anything like reservations or anything for their native inhabitants i actually don't know much about they're called native inhabitants aboriginals coleman aboriginals. i know that and i've, seen, and I've, I've, seen, I've like, visited an entire colony tribe okay i when i was there i don't know if uh you people watching the stream right now or joined us at the moment but i was telling daniel that i'd had the honor of visiting australia when i was much younger and just fell in love i mean it's a great place i i highly recommend visiting if you can if you can somehow make your way into the cargo bay of a ship and get ejected (laughs) out of the atmosphere and pull off a good old-fashioned morphin land in time um i'd say it's worth it for sure yeah, well, I mean, again, I, my only experience with the Aboriginals of Australia are, I think, probably very horrible representations in, like, TVs and movies. Um, yeah, they're every Ace single time. Ace Ventura 2 only portrayed <laughs> native tribes as cunning and clever and honorable and possibly worshipping well, bats. I feel like there was an era of Nickelodeon shows where people would go to the Outback or Australia and encounter... It's kind of like the the very racist racist tendency for uh, TVs and books and things to go to Asia and they find, you know, like a mystical old man with special powers. We just don't understand because Asia is just, you know, the Far East. I feel like uh, a lot of TV and movies in the 90s did the same thing with uh, Aboriginals in Australia, where they always, like, appeared out of nowhere and gave you, like, a vision quest... And then that was the Australian episode uh, for old like Nickelodeon shows. Oh, I really, I really think that was a thing. Yeah, yeah. Since so, you mentioned so Nickelodeon I mean... shows, 
I try to interrupt you, and then you try to act polite. Anyway, yes. <laughs> Wild thornberries, man. I'm pretty sure they must have had an, uh, an Australian episode or two or three. They did. They did exactly what I just described. Wild thornberries did, where uh, she she ran into an Aboriginal, and he was, you know, all done on the makeup. I, I don't think it was a good representation of what modern Aboriginals probably look like. Because we see in Animorphs, at least Animorphs, you know, they have a house, they have uh, radios, and, you know, it's it's more realistic to probably how they modernly live. Totes. Totes. Totes agree. Anyway, uh, Cassie's adventure. Oh, boy. Is it on its way to being underway? Because here it goes. <laughs> uh, you know, she has a brief moment where she's like, where am I? What's going on? Am I in um, um, South Dakota or whatever? She she saw, you know, SYD on some luggage. Didn't know what it meant. Um, so she's got her whole kind of... Uh, she morphs into a flea first to like hide out from the Yurks for a while. Yeah, the bug fighters are shooting the ground and tons of other stuff. Sure, and then she hides out in a little cave or whatever um, for a bit, and then finally, once things calm down, demorphs, and as she's kind of scanning the horizon, this is where we meet uh, a spiky-haired young individual named Yami Yugi, who challenges Cassie to a duel and the loser is banished to the shadow realm. And that was a very unexpected, you know, I think that's why they call this one the unexpected because mm-hmm. at no point did they mention anything about dueling or Yami. Um, or even Egyptians. And yet, and yet here we are confronted uh, with a spiky haired anime protagonist. See, this is my problem with doing live broadcasts. I can't edit out your Yu-Gi-Oh references anymore. You're just going to have to get used to them, my friend. Uh <laughs> Uh, but in it, but in reality, what this book does is uh, Cassie meets an Aboriginal family, specifically a young boy, who sees her morph uh, from a bug to a girl, from a bird to a girl, from a girl to a bug, bird, multiple things, and he equates that with um, with uh, I guess to their ancestral uh, stories of spirits and gods and whatnot. You know, I feel like any time Animorphs does one of these books where they're traveling to some far-off location, not only do they meet, uh, uh, like, a, you know, side character, a B character or whatever, um, or a C character, I guess, uh, it tends to often be, like, a teen or a fellow kid, you know, that they can relate to. Um, and, and usually it's somebody who, like, maybe sees that they have powers and, you know kind of helps them out and they know they're not a controller so it's like introducing another character that they feel like they can temporarily trust um oh my god mitchell i don't i don't want to alarm you but your wife just joined the chat i see that and honey i'd prefer if you didn't critique me live (laughs) my wife is asleep thank god all right that's that's what i'm happy for excellent go to bed honey All right. Well, anyway, so uh, very, very briefly, is it just Cassie hanging out with uh, Yami? Because uh, did she like pass out or something? They got back to his house or the outstation, uh, I guess a small community or village of these aboriginals. And um, she falls asleep on their porch and they just leave her there like they throw a blanket under her head or something. But they just leave her on the deck. Oh, it's just um, like the end of Back to the the Future. It is, yeah. It's where they, where they leave, where they leave Jennifer on the <laughs> porch. <laughs> Jennifer, Jennifer got shafted throughout that entire series. I love Back to the Future, but they did not treat her well 
at she, all. She became a different person at one point. <laughs> hey, we'll just leave her in this alleyway behind this, these, you know, boxes of toilet paper or whatever those were. Uh, <laughs> oh, Always got to drop a Back to the Future reference, if possible. It now, was very relevant. So uh, the, the the thing that's happening here in the book storyways, though... <laughs> Is that Cassie has has met this uh, uh, identifiable character named Yami, who's uh, you know a teen like she is. Um, we don't really get much of a description of him, uh, other than he's got a little dog named Jala, uh, and they're just kind of walking around. Uh, Cassie's following him, um, and you skipped over the part where they chased the kangaroos, didn't you? Yeah, they chased the kangaroos. There's a spirit stream or lake or something <laughs> it's uh it's it's a mystic lake it's a uh, uh a, a sacred spring we'll call it that's what they call it um and this is where cassie acquires a kangaroo after saving him from a fence ben freeman in the chat brings up a very interesting part of this book uh cassie has a little bit of a romantic flare-up with this uh, aboriginal young man i felt she, she she yeah. she references Jake when describing him and then stops herself and keeps telling us, the reader, that she misses Jake. Almost like she's trying to convince us and herself that she's not a little dreamy-eyed at this uh, young man. You know, yeah, you say that, and it, it is briefly brought up, but I feel like it's almost so awkwardly horseshoed or sh- horseshoed? Shoot in there that... Uh, horseshoed? It's not. It's not really followed up on, or they don't do anything more significant with it. Um, like I said, unless Cassie decided in the end of the book to stay there and like make Yami, you know, her second in command on her new satellite Animorph B team, um, that'd be cool. I like. I like the chat right now. It's uh, what happens in Australia stays in Australia. Oh, totally. Unless they go there and make a movie about it, like that Kangaroo Jack. <laughs> Um, but anyway, so yeah, I skipped over the kangaroo. They they see some kangaroos. They chase them a little bit. The dog goes after them, and I, that was really one of those points in Animorphs where, you know, just like Tobias turning into a red hawk, red uh, red tailed hawk for the first time, and talking about how great his eyesight is. That was a uh, animal fact to get out there to the audience where kangaroos are actually pretty dangerous uh, and like drown dingoes all the time. Um, you know, it's just just a little little kangaroo fact for the readers yeah yeah we got we got a few kangaroo facts this wasn't you know like a zoo book like uh some of these things can be where they they really go into specifics about what the animal's good at they they basically gloss over how you know it's kind of fast and it's got some claws and it's sort of a mean kicker Um, you just brought up zoo books which i have to (laughs) reference how cool would it have been if there had been a special edition zoo book with all of, like the animal facts, but it was like Jake turning into like a llama, and they did like the cutouts of the organs changing and stuff within them. You got pro- oh, you got problems if you want that one. No, I, just, I love zoo books, man. I love zoo books as a kid. So <laughs> I want I want an animorphs hashtag animorphs zoo books. Well, you know what? I I appreciate the little bits uh, that we get on animals when we get them. The kangaroo, I feel like, is a pretty you know upfront animal what you see is what you get and uh like i said i'm a little bit disappointed that they didn't take the opportunity to do some koala stuff uh maybe a kookaburra hmm? 
Uh, th- there's all sorts of animals that are unique well, to Australia. That, from what I hear from the internet, which is always truthful, uh, koalas are kind of a worthless species. I don't want to offend our Australian listeners. I don't know how they actually feel about koalas, but I've heard from other Australians that they're kind of they just hang out in trees. Obviously, the the plants they've chosen to eat are bad for them, and that's why they have to eat so much of it. And they've all yeah, got chlamydia. Can, I know. I know chlamydia. the facts. <laughs> they just pee all over themselves all day. I mean, I, they're useless like horrible. pandas. <laughs> pandas are awesome. Unpopular like opinion. Hashtag. I like pandas. Hashtag's at the end <laughs> of a sentence. Hashtag. That's <laughs> koalas, how it works now. koalas are basically walking chlamydia factories. Yes. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I like the chat has now. Uh, started another narrative about Jake and Melissa Chapman uh, hanging out on the weekends whenever Cassie's out of town. Uh, you know, I don't know where that's coming from. If they had tried to make Animorphs a little bit more like uh, uh, Catherine's pre-Animorphs writing series, uh, what was it? Um, what's it called? Sweet Valley High. Making Sweet Valley Out High. or something? No. I thought they did like Sweet Valley High. High. I'm sure she ghost wrote for them, but she had her own... Uh, uh, series of teen drama kind of books. I thought they were called kissing or making out or something like that. Um, But if they tried to inject a little bit more of that relationship drama into this, maybe it'd have been a little bit more interesting than what we got. I want to know. I love how we, when we dissect Animorphs books, we talk about like what Michael Grant added to it, like the gore or where things went too crazy with the war drama and stuff. I want to know what parts of uh, their previous series he added to like the, the teens are hanging out at make out point and then, like somebody pulls out a gun, and that was Michael Grant. Uh, <laughs> no, for this one, for this one, they asked him if he had any input, and he was like, "Oh, uh, Cassie's in Australia for this one. Yeah, I don't know. make sure there's like a kangaroo uh, throwing boomerangs or something, and then Visitor <laughs> Three shows up. Whatever, you know. Yeah, yeah, I'm confident you'll figure something out. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so we're we're at, we're at the plot of this book uh, where I'm going to go from here. I'm going to take over. Uh, Cassie wakes up and she's in this outpost this this small town village and uh, Yami comes around the corner and he's like oh hey spirit ancestor woman how are you doing wake up blah 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 Uh, my grandfather really wants to meet you and she introduces he introduces Cassie to his mother and grandfather and the grandfather's acting he's old but he's acting uh, very delicate even though he seems like he has a lot of energy and stuff Um, and skipping forward a little bit uh, he basically, uh, as a living or a side side joint, a side gig, what do you want to call it? Uh, he carves boomerangs for tourists, and they sell sell them through uh, Yami's aunt. Uh, I guess she lives in a big city, but uh, he gives Cassie one of these boomerangs. But when he's showing her how to use it and hunt with it, you know, we're getting a little more uh, zoo books about aboriginals. That's not zoo books. That's terrible. National Geographic, uh, just facts about their culture and boomerangs and stuff. Uh, he, he like actually falls to the ground, and we start this side plot of the fact that when he was making his latest boomerang, he used parts from the bug fighter that was blown up last night, the, the night before. He was using parts of the bug fighter to cut the boomerang and shape it. I, I thought that was a little weird and, and forced, but he cut himself with the bug fighter parts, and I guess the alien metals uh, are causing a rapid infection that is uh, causing the wound to swell up and and get disgusting. Yeah, Uh, yeah, okay. So 
A lot of this book spends time on Cassie, you know, and Yami and their little relationship. And like you said, you know, granddad comes around and we're introduced to him and his boomerang fetish. And uh, uh, Cassie wants to get away, obviously, get back home. Um, and she has to wait at least, you know, a week for the postman to arrive. So in her mind, she's like, well, I can't do that. I'm going to I'm going to, you know, make a break for the next town, which is like 50 miles away. And uh, Yami's like, yo, you better wait until it's night because even a kangaroo would know not to go during the day. Yeah, so, she tells him she, she, she acquired a kangaroo at this point. Just so that everybody knows. Uh, I not actually mentioned it. that earlier, thank you. But uh, I was not listening. <laughs> I know, buddy. I know. <laughs> when I let you just go and go for a while, you tend to lose focus. But uh, like you said, yeah, this is this is later. Uh, thus starts the granddad subplot of him having hurt himself, and now Cassie is starting to feel more responsible. Like, holy crap, I'm um, already bringing trouble to these people. Like, I gotta go. Um, and then she's thinking about doing that until she goes to check on him one last time. And his leg is like, I'm, I'm imagining it, it's like a scene out of the thing where it's just yeah, like <laughs> the size of a basketball, a swelling, the size of a basketball in his shin, not even like his upper leg, like his shin. Yeah. So yeah. That's, it's that's super pretty disgusting. Infected. And from right there, I'm like. Where is this going? Is this going where I really think it's going? Well, it, right puts, now? it puts a clock on it. Is what? Uh, oh, we had eight people watching. Now we're down six. But what <laughs> happened there? You can't start obsessing over views because this thing no, is going to get future views. No, no, I know. It's just I think it's because your wife left. She was two people. Um, <laughs> who knows? But anyway, so yeah, no, it puts a clock on the plot. That's that's what they're trying to do with this infection. Uh, but it doesn't really work because they kind of ignore. They make it like a, it's fixed in a very roundabout way at the end. Uh, this this whole infected leg plot. Uh, you do get a cool scene coming up of um, some more surgery from Cassie, but uh, we're not quite there yet. So, no, yeah, and and that's you know. I guess Unexpected is really, really fitting for this book in so many ways because, yes, it was highly unexpected that we'd have to see Cassie perform yet another surgery that she's nowhere near qualified to be able to perform. But, you know, she's already got uh, alien brain surgery under her belt, so I, I guess that qualifies her to chop she somebody's even, leg off. She even references that here in the plot. She's like, well, I mean, I've done surgery on my friend in his head, so this, this has got to be similar to that. <laughs> um, no, she she mentions thing. she mentions how she's had to help her dad amputate animal uh, legs. Sure, but she's that that skill. There's no crossover in that skill set other than like I guess being able to see what you're doing. Uh, she uses a horkbajir morph instead of any kind of tools or equipment. She morphs a horkbajir with a with a wrist blade, which I assume is like right here. So she's like cutting in, amputating like this, and then we've already heard that uh, horkbajir have you know like terrible eyesight. So that's a problem right there too. Trying to perform surgery with your wrist, uh, <laughs> I, I don't. Yeah, I don't. I don't see how any of this worked out well. Yeah, exactly. She uh, she actually tries, I think, at first to only do the wrist blades, but then she's like, ah, it's not working out. It's too awkward. I got to go full horkbajir. Um And yeah, it, it's extremely unexpected to say the least. Uh, she you know slices the dude's leg off, which is particularly. Mm -hmm. Graphic and uh, also just something really messed up to put a character uh, through. 
you know. That's probably the Michael Grant edition. Um, <laughs> I do want to point out in the chat, uh, Nita says, uh, yes, let the teenager preteen do surgery. And while it's silly and, and handled strangely in this book, I actually do think where she performed the surgery on Axe is a fairly realistic depiction of someone scared out of their mind and terrified they're going to kill their friend, but no one else can do this but them uh, scene. Yeah, that that book did it much better, though. That was uh, that was the sickness that you're talking about. Yeah, I love the sickness. It's it's great. Oh, I am down down with the sickness. sickness. Down with the sickness. Yeah. Good. Good job. Yeah, we're idiots. Um, (laughs) So, yeah, now it's now it's become personal. Now Cassie's like, oh, man, uh, you know, I'm so wrapped up in this. Okay, I I fixed uh, uh, granddad's leg by amputating it. Yami comes in and, you know, he's he's cool with (laughs) her turning into this hork bajir after she explains to him. And then, you know, the convenient uh, Yurks arrive once more looking for uh, the Andalite bandit. And this is where Cassie already is so guilt wracked. She's like, I just I got to leave these people and draw the Yurks away. Right. Pretty, pretty yeah. safe plan. Yeah, and then, I mean, uh, I don't see how, I don't see any scenario that the aboriginals in this entire village aren't killed by the Yurks. Even if she distracts them briefly, how are all these people not infested with Yurks by the end of this book? Um, I don't know about infested. Uh, I think, yeah, like you say, the Yerks are definitely playing this weirdly conservative. Um, I, I totally expected them, you know, to call in more ships, more troops, whatever. It doesn't strike me as a, a highly populated area, obviously. Um, he mentions a couple uncles and some other, I think he says there might be a couple yeah, other people. But- There's some other structures by their house. I know we're supposed to believe the Yerks... I know we're supposed to believe the Yurks are dumb and don't plan well for things, but it seems crazy to me that there was an Andalite on the ground possibly staying with these people or, you know, like, getting help from them, and the Yurks wouldn't send down, like, a small troop to infest all of these aboriginals just to see their memories of interacting with this Andalite. Like, that'd that be, like, 101 uh, for a community that interacted with an Andalite bandit. I would sure, think. sure. Nita is pointing out that there's no York pool in Australia, and that makes total sense. So if they're playing it conservatively, like I said, with their, their troops, that makes sense. Uh, the Yurks and Visor 3 in particular aren't known for you know showing that kind of sympathy towards his underlings. I, I think he totally would infest humans. Well, I don't think you need And to... then just bring them along. He'd kidnap them from Australia. What? He doesn't you're, care where you're... the humans are from. You're all overcomplicating this though, because you don't need these don't need to be the new subvisor 437 who has a base in Australia or even bring these people along. You go down, you capture everybody, you infest them one by one just to get information. The Yurk pops back out, you kill that human, and you go on your merry way. You know? That's you don't need to have a base there or bring these people or it's the Yurks. They're the evil bad guys. Just kill everybody after you get the info. Leave no witnesses. That's what I say. <laughs> now, Nita does make a good point of could they, would it cause a disturbance, this whole community disappearing? Uh, maybe. That's, that's a good point. And I don't think so. Uh, if, it's, if it's like a handful of people, ten people, 
you know, out in the middle of nowhere. It might even take, like he said, until the postman comes back a whole week before a witness shows up. And you know what? If I'm playing Red Dead Redemption 2 and I'm out of the, the crime zone for that long, the witnesses can't detect me. And I know that I'm safe. Also, I had my bandana up, so. That bandana does nothing. It does nothing. <laughs> it draws Just more suspicion to you. Also, I did not realize that you will get a different ending for your morality um, within the game. It really affects the ending. So, oh. Just a heads up on that. I'll uh, try to turn things around before I get put on the naughty list. <laughs> it's, if you have to say that, it's probably too late. But back to Animorphs. We've got to make this relevant so people in the future are like, Red Dead Redemption 2, we're on oh, 5. How dated. Yeah, we're on 5. We're on Red Dead Redemption Legacy or Chronicles. Odyssey. <laughs> the chat says uh, Visitor 3 does not have a bandana. Oh, obviously. Can you imagine Visitor 3 trying to ride a horse? Like, as an Andalite trying to ride he a horse? He is a horse. I know, but th- what if he had a mount? So he, so he hopped on a horse. Now I just pictured if if he had a mount or something, it'd just be like a floating platform he steps up onto, and then he just floats wherever he wants to go. Or like a like a big battle cat, like Cringer from uh, He Man. <laughs> I just don't know how the hooves would like cling to the mount. Or maybe he'd have. He'd like have a, a special strap. saddle. It'd be a special okay. saddle. Thanks. I think I think a creative uh, artist could could sketch up a concept. Of of a mounted visitor three, okay. Can we get back to this incredibly important plot? We're okay. I'm gonna candles. I'm gonna I'm gonna drop this on you right now. So much like it has been foretold, ah uh, ah uh, foretold, <laughs> Cassie equips Boomerang before morphing into uh, uh, Kangaroo. Um, as foretold. And this is where she's like, I'm leaving these people behind. I'm going to try and do the right thing. And I'm going to draw the Yerk's attention. And she like cartoon, you know, zips out of there. And it's kind of this big dramatic. I mean, this is the climax of the book. So this is her escaping from the Yerk's. And she's really just hopping around dodging gunfire for the first bit of it until she makes it accidentally over to that sacred spring. Once again, where the kangaroos are, roosting or whatever it is they do and uh th- this is where you know the battle kind of climaxes and we get uh the uh backup being provided by the sea characters who once again show up to support our our uh cassie for lack of a better word and uh <laughs> hit me with some knowledge buddy what you think of this scene uh ah, so I'm, I'm, you suck. i don't want to get into my i don't want to get into my review yet but i actually was still interested in the book until they shoehorned this morph in. And even worse, not only is she going to Kangaroo for, I don't know, I know they're fast, but it just doesn't seem like a good morph for this scenario. Um, but well, then, then she her, blends in with the group, though. Not really, because she's at first she's by herself. Before she gets to the group, she's her plan is to go out in the wild by herself to distract them. Um, but but when she puts the ban- when she puts the boomerang in her Joey pouch, that's when it like officially jumps the shark. Like this book is ridiculous. I know it was already ridiculous yeah. for a lot of reasons. But putting the I don't even think that's like a you, good you hit the head on the nails. I think I think somebody in that boardroom at some point said you're gonna have him turn into a kangaroo, right? And then the writer was like, oh yeah yeah. And then somebody was like, you should totally work a boomerang into it. 
Well, I don't, but, I don't know if that makes sense to the plot. No, no, just trust me. Trust me. But It'd be super my cool. thing, my thing is, I, I know, it had the ridiculousness of putting a boomerang in a pouch as a, as a, a kangaroo. I know their pouches aren't. Obviously, it's not internal. Um, but most, um, most mammals who have a pouch, or like marsupials who have a pouch like that, it's still like it's a different kind of epidermis. So I don't think putting items in there. No, no, I, no. There's there's mucus in there for sure. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I think there's be like an infection. You get splinters. I don't think any part of that would work out. You know, well. I'll give it to her though. I think in her particular situation, sure. Why not be able to tuck a, a slim piece of wood in there, just like a uh, you know sheath of some sort? Plus, why not? Plus the grandfather. This can't be that like good of a boomerang either, because the grandfather was like. You just had a giant piece of alien metal he's slicing this thing with and putting it together. It's got to be pretty ragged. And Well, no, it's kind of cool, actually, that Granddad gives us a little bit of uh, uh, information, I guess, on, on boomerangs and, and particularly that there are different types, like the uh, returning kind uh, are different from the hunting kind, which, yeah, we which went over that don't earlier. return. Sure, sure, you'd say that, but when I went to Australia, they didn't go <laughs> over that, and I took a boomerang class, as well as a bullwhip class. Ooh. Oh, those I'll were the days. Bullwhip class, it's pretty cool. Um, but, anyway, so she, yeah, you want to describe the next part? She goes out as a kangaroo, um, and this is, like you said, the climax of the of the book, so lead, us, lead the way. Um, well, <laughs> that's actually what what's kind of disappointing about this book is that during this big you know battle you're going uh th- there should be at least one question on your mind if not more which is how is cassie ev- inevitably inevitably going to get back to her team right that's that should be the one burning question in your head how's it going to happen and this is where i was really disappointed because the battle suddenly and abruptly ends when uh, Cassie happens upon a rock, I guess, that she hides behind, and it turns out to be a chi in disguise. Um, which I, I guess makes sense to the plot, but it, it just seems like a major cop-out at this point that this is some random chi that uh, uh, snuck aboard the blade ship, I guess, and is... Yeah, whenever you, write the- yourself, whenever you write yourself into a corner with this series, you just throw a chi in there, fix the problem... Uh, you know, they got super advanced holograms. Boop, good to go. Also, I totally uh, imagine that this chi that showed up is, uh, well, the name is Lords? Lord? Lords? <laughs> yeah, I think he's someone they do, I think it's a chi that they do interact with earlier in the series. I, I, I that, do thought, not remember a chi named Lords. I thought there was one, like, because they, they describe, like, three chi other than Eric. You know, they talk about uh, Mr. King. Yeah, dad, Mr. King, there's one of dad. them. She's got her other, uh, I think there's another Chi contact. Or no, I mean, she's got another dude that's a, a free yerk. Or a, uh, but it is strange. I mean, I, I know this is a big, long book series. They were writing these things extremely fast. They were barely going off manuscripts. I am surprised that any of these writers, especially Kay Applegate coming up with some of these, um, uh, at least outlines for the Ghost Riders to go off of, how so many resolve... With Visitor 3 coming out of nowhere for a final fight and the cheese saving the day. Like, those two things pop up constantly. Like, at some point, you think you'd be like, oh, I've done this a few too many times. Because, I mean, obviously, these are great writers who are working on the series. A lot of even the ghost writers have gone on to do other series. It's, it's so strange that they just kept bringing this stuff back. Um, it makes me think, like, it's like how um, 
a lot of TV shows or, or, you know, story writers or people talk about how you don't know you're in the good times when you're doing it. I think <laughs> even Kay Applegate, to an extent, at this point in the series, they didn't know they were writing a series that will define them to a lot of people, like a big series that was important. I mean, Animorphs isn't, you know lost or anything but it was a huge series at the time and and k applegate will always be kind of uh connected to that just like jk rowling will always be connected to harry potter even though she goes off and does a bunch of other stuff totally um, you know you know it, i think they they would have acted differently at the time if they knew what it was going to turn into oh yeah um I guess. I mean, I don't know how that ties into... I mean, what's your point? <laughs> My point is, again, the Chi are saving the day, and Visitor 3 is, you know, he's like he's like a captain on Star Trek. Like, why are you going down to the surface of the planet? You're the captain. It, it, hits, it hits all the necessary beats that uh, past books have to hit, and I think that they gave these guidelines to ghostwriters to keep it within this, you know, sort of, here are a couple of things that we typically do, and... Uh, like I said, it just it feels very quickly wrapped up where uh, Cassie, who is outnumbered, outgunned, likely, you know, in peril and suddenly, hey, you know, she's here. We're going to save the day. Um, Daniel's uh, bringing up a lot of things in the uh, comments about maybe there are chi stationed in Australia or whatever. But this particular chi lords had mentioned how uh, he or she had snuck aboard. Um, the blade ship now whether or not that means they went totally like incognito camouflage I think, or I think if they were implying... one of the uh, human controller fakes that have yeah, infiltrated think, the yurks i think this is implying this is a this is someone who is stationed within the yurk command probably you know someone who's who's within the, the structure um i do want to say just i mean again not to just beat a dead horse or feed an overhead fed force what does Peter want us to say now I can't remember. Um, but uh, I really think that they could have come up with so many different ways to keep this a personal story. Like, have the Yurks and the airport scene get Cassie to Australia, but then wrap up the plot and have more of the plot having to do with her, like, being in another country, and she can't just, like, turn into a hawk and fly home. This is a real problem to Cassie that you bring the Chi in, you just fix it immediately, but... Uh, this could have been like like people were saying in the chat. This could have been like a three arc books, you know, three book arc series or something. It could have been um, significant. It could have had consequences. Instead, it it just doesn't. It it. And here's the biggest thing I think is that uh, it really feels like although she was in the outback and although there were kangaroos, the plot could have happened anywhere. She could have been even you know just on the east coast of America, and it'd still be kind of the same challenge. Like I got a long ways to go, sort of thing, <laughs> but. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I feel like we didn't really get to see Australia. Like I said, the lack of Australia-specific animals. She didn't run into any kind of snakes or scorpions or spiders that are really notorious for being in Australia and dangerous. Um, and they just miss so much. They miss so much opportunity with this book, and that's the biggest like takeaway. So the abrupt, like, we're out of the action sequence, and now here's a wrap-up chapter of Cassie back with the team. And uh, uh, we're just going to, you know, wrap it up here. That, that's what these things do. And that's how you know, I think, that it's kind of a bad book where they just just jump out of the, the plot and are like, all right, and here's the uh, everything returns to the status quo at the end. Yeah. So it's crazy. I finished reading this book maybe three or four hours ago and I forget how it wraps up. I know they're in the, you know, Rachel 
she told Rachel she wanted to go shopping. But are they sitting in the mall? No, they're not in the mall. They're at uh, the they're at the gardens. Yeah, they go to the, gardens, the gardens exactly to uh, for Cassie to get a postcard that she's going to send to Yami, obviously. And yeah. Uh, we get a little bit about, you know, how the team missed her so much while she was gone. And Jake specifically was all he could say was, I got to find her. And, you know, he was very Liam Neeson like and, and Cassie likes well, that. You actually have a moment where they like kind of confess to everyone else or or they all act like, hey, we all know this between you guys. That, that was kind of different. Um, the whole Jake Cassie relationship there at the end. Yeah. Um, and and that's really all this book has to say, you know, is like, hey, uh I guess Cassie's able to survive in some really tough situations and, you know, I guess you didn't need to see a whole uh, uh, week-long her traveling back to America via, like, you know, sneaking on a cruise ship or something. Like, that wasn't as interesting as sudden chi. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no. Um, that's it, and I, I, I agree with the chat. Uh, so much of this was just forgettable. And again, I read this within the last 24 hours, and I'm struggling to pull out um, parts of the book that were interesting or, or that mattered. Uh, it's or at it's least, absolutely especially forgettable. the order of things. I've lost. I've already lost how some things happened as far as the order and, and where they are in the book. So that's saying something right there. Absolutely, absolutely. That is uh, Animorphs number 44, The Unexpected, and I think... Would you like to start us out on the reviews, Coleman? Sure. Um, I actually came into this recording, or this, I guess, a broadcast is what we're calling it right now. Um, I came into this more positive than I was expecting, and I was going to be a voice of positivity. But talking about it, it's brought it back down. I wasn't expecting to forget this much of the book, not going off notes or anything else, because I just read it. I just finished reading it. Uh, a few hours ago, and I'm pretty good at remembering plot points, and I'm, this book is incredibly forgettable, so that, uh, just just doing this broadcast has brought down my review. Um, is it one of the worst books in the series? I mean, we've hit some pretty bad ones. Atlantis was terrible. Uh, there were some things, the air, I really liked the airport scene, uh, and I really liked the airplane scene. It was like a mixture of Die Hard 2 and Air Force 1 with Harrison Ford, and you know, I enjoyed those. It was it almost went like Tom Clancy novel there for a second, um, which I had a good time with. So I'm not going to give it like a one, but um, I think I will give it two out of five drop bears. Um, yeah, I think that's where I have to stick it. It's, it's, a, it's a two. Uh, it's as uh, slow as I'll go. Wow. Okay. First of all, I got to say that um, Atlantis was better. Absolutely. Absolutely. Oh, so boring. <laughs> now, this is definitely, I would say, top three worst books. Um, and that's really saying something. Uh, this one totally felt like uh, an idea that they had written down on a napkin long ago. And they were, you know, kind of desperate for, like I say, filler material at this point. This would have been a much more effective story much earlier in the series. Um, the way it's inserted here is practically useless, I gotta say, and just wasted potential overall is, is the biggest takeaway from this book. Wasted potential. There's so much more interesting stuff we could have seen in Australia. And it also did something really annoying to me, uh, which is uh, because Cassie is separated from the team, it's obviously, you know, just her side of the story, 
but she keeps trying to imagine what the other characters would say in her situation, and it always felt like a really cheap attempt to still write the other characters or in a way, you know, bring them back into the story. And I felt like it didn't need that um, necessarily. Uh, I felt like it cheapened the narrative. So, uh, like I said, you know, totally unexpected that most of the book would be spent on the airport and the airplane setup. Uh, only a third of it happened in the Outback. It didn't feel like an Outback adventure. It felt like a um, just a side Outback quest. Steakhouse adventure. Outback, yeah, I would have preferred that book. Uh, just the team going to Outback Steakhouse and, you know, sharing a blooming onion um, would have been much more preferable to this thing. Uh, so what else did I want to say about it? I mean, yeah, it's so forgettable, the details. You said it jumped the shark when um, Kangaroo Cassie equips the uh, boomerang, but I think, you know, it jumped the shark when she's in this grave peril and then the saviors that show up are... Uh, uh, Yami and his uncles is like two uncles and the dog and they're chucking boomerangs at you know these aliens Horkmajirs and Texans and stuff and uh, that that just to me it was the height of ridiculousness this book is for sure a one out of five uh, one out of five um, uh, <sighs> oh, come on man it's, it's like I don't even want to ascribe it something one out of five uh, boomerang wielding kangaroo warriors, I guess. That's, that's good. That's you know good. what? Here, I, I will tell you, I did like one really, really good line from the book that I actually dog eared. Um, it's during the battle where they're fighting the Texans. Oh, I want to preface this. This is our first live dramatic reading from the book. Take it away. <clears throat> the wounded Texan himself turned and, with his last dying breath, slurped up his own guts. Yeah, no, I I stopped the book right there, turned to my wife because she was reading something else, and was like, okay, this just happened. This is how they describe taxes in this book. I thought that was pretty cool. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. So that was like the most one of the most memorable things, and it's just kind of a, a side throwaway thing. Yeah. Uh, so you gave it a two, I gave it a one. Um, I got to say, I think I expected that. Yeah, that's about on par. I was maybe going to give it a three when we started, but uh, oh, this, this book no really way. doesn't. Yeah, it doesn't deserve it. I gave yeah, Atlantis that. a three. That was crazy. That was ridiculous. But anyway, it was well, a okay. Well, yeah, well, I mean, this is, um, I'd, I'd say, a pretty successful first live broadcast. I, I had a good time reviewing this book. Oh, it absolutely uh, was. And by the way, I'd just like to point out that um, coming soon... Uh, we can take control of the Animorphs in two exciting new games for our PC or Sony PlayStation game console. Really? I didn't know they were releasing games for those anymore. Oh, yeah, no. For the PlayStation, we could play Shattered Reality, in which Visitor 3 has found the power uh, to warp reality, and only you and the Animorphs can restore the balance of time. You know what's interesting? I think by doing this live, the actual uh, like episode... I think we got through it faster. It might have been the book, too, and that we were kind of... It was definitely the book. Things. We were stretching for things to discuss <laughs> here, guys. Um, next up is uh, Animorphs number 45, The Revelation, as I'm discovering. And this is just a great book. This is a Marco book, I believe. And, uh, yeah, somebody said in the comments that almost every book from here on out is 
is pretty much superb. And uh, I think that's true. I think there's maybe like one more, two more that I'm not necessarily looking forward to. But either way, it's going to be a great time. I can guarantee you that. Is this the is this the book where Marco freezes mom? Is that this book? Uh, I can't say with 100% certainty. I, I definitely I, haven't I read wanna it. Say, so. I want to say I think so, though. But okay, but I, yeah. I mean I can't. That's not a certain spoiler. So I, I'm not, not going to say certainty. I'm not going to say anything about our personal lives right now because you you guys know more than anyone that our our schedule for releasing episodes is insane. But I can't imagine that once we start reading the countdown to the end, we're not going to blast through these. I mean, I I want to read them and I want to talk about them so badly. So. Absolutely, and uh, with the new year approaching fastly, uh, one of my goals, obviously, is to be more productive, um, not just with podcasting, but with a lot of things in my life, and uh, mostly to stop procrastinating uh, in certain areas would be great. And uh, yeah, sure. yeah, I just you know want to kick it into high gear here and get things going. This uh, stream was definitely a positive experience, I would say. Other than the fact that we uh, look and say stupid things and uh, mm-hmm. buff a human. Oh, I wish. I, I, <laughs> the buff a human I, was also wasted potential. <laughs> I feel like without without realizing it, just broadcasting this, being able to look at you and and see the chat where we're going, I think this brings a new energy to the podcast that I'm excited about. Uh, it's just It feels very different from our normal podcasting setup. Where I'm just talking to a computer screen uh, without even a video, usually. So. Yeah, it, it does get a little bit uh, taxing just sitting here staring at waveforms. <laughs> for yeah, I don't know why Nita keeps bringing up uh, Godzilla. Oh, because I have a Godzilla right here. But I'm I'm incredibly excited about the new Godzilla movie too, by the way, Nita. <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, I forgot about the Godzilla that's right right in the camera. Um, yes, yes, we'll decorate our backgrounds with all sorts of nerdy <laughs> Easter eggs and goodies all to come. And uh, I think now is a great time to say that uh, Patreons will uh, get exclusivity to these kind of live streams. It's a lot of fun uh, reading your guys' comments, being able to reference it during a stream. Really like that and appreciate you guys joining us for our first ever live test. I think it was, like I said, super successful. So do you want to do our plugs and wind down uh, the recorded portion? Yes, if you enjoyed this episode, if you like that we're evolving the podcast and we're moving forward in new, exciting ways, uh, this is specifically, um, we're able to do this because of our Patreon. Again, that's patreon.com slash thoughtspeak. Um, That has brought this podcast to a whole other level, and the more people we get subscribing to that, the more we'll be able to do, and the more we'll be able to get the word out about the podcast. Um, if you want to jump over to iTunes, we need to specifically talk about We should talk about it at the beginning, too. But iTunes, uh, we had to, because of the changes of the podcast and the website and stuff, we lost all of our subscriptions on iTunes, all of our subscriptions and our reviews. So we desperately need uh, some new reviews and subscriptions on iTunes just to get the word out about the podcast and uh, make us not look like we just started a brand new podcast. We've been doing this for four years, and 
Uh, we want people to know that they can expect a certain level of quality and stuff from our, our work. And I mean, at one iTunes, point, we were the top yeah. iTunes Animorphs podcast, and then, you know, you miss a couple months, and suddenly you're slipping in the ratings. <laughs> I don't know. You release only five episodes in one year, and, uh, and uh, you know, somebody gets worried. I don't, I don't understand it. But um, <laughs> anyway, but so anything you do with that, uh, if you listen to individual podcast apps, I had forgotten about this. Uh, I listen to CastBox. That's what I use for podcasts. And we actually have started getting some comments on there, uh, which are their review system. They use comments. So okay. uh, that's pretty cool. So wherever you listen to podcasts, uh, subscribe. Make sure that uh, we've been refreshed on that feed and that it's our current feed. You should see our new logo with the book and the uh, ThoughtSpeak logo and stuff. So check that out on there. We're on Twitter, at MorphCast. Um, keep, you know, get in there to get updates and us just, you know, talking about the podcast and Animorphs and whatever book we're reading. Uh, obviously, we're on Facebook, facebook.com slash ThoughtSpeak. And if you want to have us read something on the air or send us a message, we're at ThoughtSpeakCast at gmail.com. Uh, so anything you want to oh, say to yeah. us or a little longer form uh, <laughs> messaging type, uh, obviously shoot us an email. No, absolutely. Uh, uh, Patreon, Facebook, all those things really uh, important. As you probably noticed, we're also on YouTube now for those of us joining us on the yes. live stream on YouTube. All of our episodes, our entire archive, all up on YouTube. And uh, please subscribe to get the content on there. Maybe leave comments in some of your favorite episodes. Who knows? Um, we'll definitely be doing live streaming again and, uh, yeah, you know, I'm very excited about the future and it's going to be so cool when you guys are, our initial Patreon subscribers are going to be able to, uh, you know, look down upon the, uh, the, the wave of new Patreons that are going to join after we're done with Animorphs and you're going to be like, yeah, you know, we were here from the beginning. We were, we were with them from the Animorphs now that we've gone through this series and this series and you guys are just hopping on. <laughs> yeah. And chat, I'm sorry. I don't think, uh, making out written by Kay Applegate is going to be our next series. We jump into, it could be um, one of them. <laughs> no, I, I've, I, I I've got an older KA book called uh, Sharing Sam. It's some like teen, you know, 13 chapter Ugh. teen. I just don't want, I don't want us, as much as I am excited to read some of the other uh, K Applegate books, I don't want us to be a K Applegate podcast. I think uh, there's so many books that were important to our childhood and uh, books we read when we were younger that we're excited to talk about. I mean, Cirque de Freak is a huge one that both of us. Um, I read in college, you read much earlier, um, that we're excited to jump into with this uh, Ender's Game. Oh my gosh, we could do an entire podcast just on Ender's Game. I've um, so, got a lot of books I'm planning on uh, trying to make you read. Yeah, there's 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 a ton that's going to go into this. So uh, we're incredibly excited about what we're doing after Animorphs. But we got to finish uh, Animorphs first, and we've got the best of the series uh, coming up. So stick with us. Totally. Uh, until that happens, though, we're going to wind down the recorded portion. And uh, I'm just happy to say that I have been your host, Mitchell. And I'm Coleman. And we will see you guys on the next one. <laughs>